Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, these are difficult times, aren't they? And as we have a break in our preaching schedule, I'd love to take the opportunity now for a one-off sermon to help us see how the Bible guides us through difficult times. And in particular, how the Psalms help us in these times. It's been on my heart for a while, and I pray that this will be a help and a comfort for us all. Do you know, I found that the word weird is the most commonly used word to describe our experience of lockdown. And the comedian Michael McIntyre has illustrated that brilliantly at the beginning of the latest series of his Saturday night show. Each episode has begun with Michael McIntyre talking to a comedy fortune teller with the date underneath saying June 2019. And two weeks ago, the fortune teller, who looked like a character from an Aladdin movie, was explaining to Michael how he could see in his crystal ball a big occasion on the horizon. And Michael responded in his usual enthusiastic way by explaining how he and his wife were anticipating a big anniversary in 2020. But the fortune teller raises the stakes by saying he could see Michael's wife crying about a gift that he'd given her. It worried Michael a bit, but the fortune teller reassured him by saying that she was crying tears of joy because he'd been so thoughtful. And in that typical Michael McIntyre excited way, he says to the fortune teller, oh, tell me, tell me what the amazing gift I'm going to get her is. It must be magnificent in order to make her cry like that. And the fortune teller turns to the camera and delivers the punchline. You got her a kilogram of plain flour. Now, it illustrates well how strange our lives are today. Who would have thought a year ago that we would be anxious about whether or not there would be blue roll on the supermarket shelves? Who would have imagined a year ago that in June 2020 we would be desperate for a hug? Or, or that we would be so wary of social distancing protocols? Who could have imagined a year ago how the everyday things of our lives have been so affected by this pandemic? 
that exams, weddings, holidays would have been cancelled. That we couldn't even get a haircut or a dentist's appointment. We just have to walk past our local schools to see how the playgrounds are carefully uh, taped off and measured out and planned. And shopping, a year ago I would have laughed at the thought of carefully queuing to wait my turn to be allowed into Tesco's. And yet more seriously, lockdown has affected us personally too. Many of us have become isolated, inexplicably tired. Some of us are disconnected from family and friends. Many are frustrated, anxious and worried about the future. We've lost structure, certainty, hope. And many of us have lost our connection with God too. So it's quite probable that we're beginning to wonder, well, how do we cope? How do we manage all the emotions that we're experiencing in these times? How do we process the massive changes that we've all endured? How do we grieve the loss? And, you know, I have to say that as we begin to look at how the Bible answers these questions, we're not going to find a magic bullet. Neither is there going to be an easy solution that makes everything better by tomorrow. But the Bible does give us guidance, even though the path might lead us through really, really difficult times. The Bible gives us hope in these weird times. Now, listen, if we're slightly switched off by where we're going with this, then let me just look at for a moment at what Jesus did when he was most vulnerable, when he was most emotional, when he was at the end of what he could manage. When Jesus was confronted by enemies, he quotes from Psalm 35. When his opponents want to stone him to death, he quotes Psalm 82. At his trial, he quotes Psalm 110. In the agony of the garden prayer, he speaks the words of Psalm 75. And with his dying breath, Jesus cries out those opening worms of, words of Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of all the Old Testament books, Jesus quotes or refers most often to the Psalms. When Jesus is in the most difficult situations, when, he, when he's facing stiff opposition, when he's most spiritually emotional, you find him going to the Psalms. Why does he do that? Well, it's because the Psalms are the handbook for prayer in the Bible. For ancient Jewish culture, the Psalms worked like a Jewish book of common prayer. The Psalms were Jesus's book of prayer. And that's because the Psalms resonate with our everyday, raw, real life. They're prayers to pray in all sorts of situations and they are God's word. And that combination tells us that the Psalms are not just comforting thoughts, rather they are a powerful resource in life. The Psalms give us the words and the language to express what we're feeling, both in joys and in sorrows. They show us where to go with our emotions and how to express to God even our darkest feelings. And that's the thing about the Psalms, because they, both the Psalms and Jesus' life uh, tell us something that we don't often reflect on. What we see in both is raw emotion and often shocking outbursts. So, for example, Jesus often condemns his opponent with sharks, sharp words. He calls them whitewashed tombs. 
Jesus looks on Jerusalem, on Jerusalem, on the other hand, and he weeps with compassion. And then at another time, he takes little children in his arms and he lovingly blesses them. And the same happens in the Psalms. In the Psalms, there's a vast array of emotions. There are cries of sorrow, there are cries of distress, and there are cheers of joy. And the invitation of the book is to find ourselves in the Psalms and to learn how to express our feelings by using God's words and God's way just like Jesus did. And the reason why we need to hear this, this morning, is because many of us are not simply struggling with the emotions of lockdown, but we're struggling spiritually too. Many of us aren't praying, many of us haven't read our Bibles for weeks, many of us are feeling spiritually dull, and if that's true of us this morning, if we're struggling spiritually in these times, then I pray that this morning, will help us to begin a journey into connecting with God through the Psalms. A, a journey of not just learning what to say to God, like some off-pat bedtime prayer, but how to connect with God, how to express our feelings to God, and how to find our spiritual voice, just like the Psalmists do. And I have to say again, this is not a magical formula that will make everything right in the next half hour. But I pray that it will help in some way, even if, even if it's just a pointing in the right direction. I pray this morning might help us discover Jesus's prayer book for ourselves so that in difficult times, we too can lose ourselves in it and find him. So let's look at Psalm 1 together, because Psalm 1 unlocks the Psalms and gives us practical reasons to read the rest of the Psalms again and again and again and pray them for ourselves. And our first point this morning is simply believe the promise. Believe the promise. You see, the Psalms are an incredible book that begin with one word that summarises a promise. Look with me at verse one of Psalm one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So the Psalms start with that word, blessed. It's a description of someone who's happy, content, fulfilled. It's a word that describes the person who is in relationship with God and deeply contented in that relationship. And the contrast in this psalm is between the blessed person and the wicked, the sinners, the mockers, the people who are not in relationship with God. It's like there are, there are kind of two ways to live. And the challenge for the reader is to believe that God's way will give us grounded, anchored, happy and fulfilled lives, whatever our circumstances. And that can be difficult to believe sometimes. It's one of the reasons why we struggle in difficult times, because rather than believing the truth of this first word of the Psalms, that we will be happy and blessed and content and fulfilled by immersing ourselves in God. Rather, we believe that the solution to our difficulties will be found elsewhere in our autonomy or our idols and that God is not active enough to help us. But the psalmist says that that is not true. 
He, he wants us to see the contrast between the person who immerses themselves in God and the person who doesn't. He wants us to see that of these two ways to live, to run towards God and immerse ourselves in him is by far and away better than to reject God. And the psalmist uh, wants us to see and believe and revel in that truth for ourselves. That's why the psalmist describes what the blessed person is like. He says in verse three, he says this, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's a picture of a tree that flourishes in a dry climate. And it flourishes because it has a constant supply of water. And the message is that the blessed person is someone who has grounded themselves in an everlasting supply of life. They've got depth and stability and fruitfulness. And when the psalmist says whatever they do prospers, he doesn't mean that the blessed person reaches every goal or is always materially successful. Instead, it means that the blessed person will always grow. Sometimes that growth is internal and even through suffering and sometimes external. It's external and it's through a success or through sharing the gospel. But that growth, that growth is not rooted in self-sufficient pride. No, the blessed person is always growing through deep roots, reaching down into the depths of a relationship with God. And it might be that we've forgotten that this morning. Perhaps we're struggling to remember that because we're going because what we're going through is so big. But as we look at the rest of the psalm, I hope we will begin to see how we might flourish even in these times. Like a tree planted by streams of water. And that brings us to our, our, our second point this morning, which is simply this. Meditate meditate? The obvious question following the first sentence of the psalm is, how does one become blessed? What characterises the blessed person's life? Well, the answer lies in verse two. Let me read the first two verses for us. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So the psalmist says that the blessed person is the person who meditates on God's law. What does it mean to meditate? Well, Christian meditation is very different to Eastern meditation. In Eastern meditation, the great aim is to empty one's mind of everything and focus on nothing. I'm not going to go into the problems with that, but Christian meditation is very different. Christian meditation is an act of will where we fill our minds with God. Because naturally, our minds fill with anything but God. And what we normally fill our minds with is often not helpful to our souls. So, for example, I, I was on the walk the other day when I saw in, in the drive of, of one house two cars and I would have loved to have both. 
Now, those of you who know me uh, will know that when I look at cars, I look at them for their robustness and their reliability. So these cars were not impractical and expensive to run like Lamborghinis or Ferraris. These cars were simply bog standard, reliable workhorse cars. You can see I'm going off on one, but I really envied the person who owned both of them. And quite honestly, for the rest of the day, I couldn't get them out of my head. Their simple robustness consumed my thinking, and I have to confess I was filled with covetousness. I spent the day thinking, imagining, dreaming, filling my mind with those cars. Now, now that's just one example. Other examples I could give are, are where my mind has been filled with worry or anxiety or undelivered speeches to people who need me to bend their ear or lust or temptation or greed. Christian meditation is to actively fill our minds with God, to think, imagine, dream, chew over thoughts of him. And the psalmist tells us the centre point of Christian meditation is God's word, the law of the Lord. That's what will truly bless us in the truest sense. In his study of Psalm 1, Eugene Peterson brings out the fact that the original meaning of the Hebrew word used here for law is Torah. And that comes from a verb that means to throw something to hit its mark, like a javelin. And his point is this. The scriptures are not words we simply study as if for an exam, unlocking information that we could use in a sermon. Rather, the words of God are living and designed to penetrate our lives to our very hearts. God's words are designed to penetrate, to wound, to correct, to heal, to captivate us. In the New Testament, we read that the word of God is alive and active like a two-edged sword. And that's important, practically. To know God's word is Torah, a javelin launched at our hearts helps us see the necessity of meditation. That, that God's word is living truth, aimed to penetrate down to our very souls. And that's why the psalmist says the blessed person is the person who meditates on God's word constantly, day and night. Because to immerse ourselves in scripture is to constantly expose our hearts to God's Torah, his javelin, and to take our minds off our idols and our worries and our anxieties. The action is life transforming. It's soul refreshing because as we meditate, we develop roots that reach down into the depths of the life giving water of God's word and we drink deeply. So how do we do that? How do we meditate? Well, we meditate on God's word in much the same way that we meditate on our everyday idols. In other words, just as we obsess about the things we want and the people we want to be like or the things we hope to achieve, so to meditate in God's word is where we let his words go round and round our minds constantly and we allow the truth of them to sink in and change us internally. We let his words take the place of the wrong things we meditate on and that can be only a good thing. Do you know, we can do that by, by memorising a verse. And saying it over and over again till it's stuck in our heads. We can do that by reading a verse and thinking about each word in turn and think about what that word contributes to the verse. We're most of us still working from home, so we can plaster the walls of our workspaces with verses to think about and dream on in our idle moments. 
Tim Keller said, meditation is the mind ministering to the heart till it catches fire in your whole life. And if I may be personal for a second, I've been struggling with these times too. And about a month ago, I took to following this psalm's advice. It's been difficult, my mind has often wandered, to thinking about my pet idols like those cars. But in the last week or so, I've begun to feel what I'm reading and I've begun to pray what I'm reading too. And in that feeling and in those prayers, there's a sense of connecting. Connecting with God's word emotionally and spiritually, it's been like finding deep water in a long drought. And it's beginning to ground me and change my anxieties from fear to faith. Now, now I know I'm not often personal when I use illustrations, but I hope you can see past this exception and see it as an encouragement for us all to do, to do the same and persist. My prayer is that we would meditate on God's word till it catches fire and changes our whole lives and roots us and grounds us and, and, and just changes everything in us for the glory of God. But that brings us to our, our third and last point this morning. And as well as meditate, we are to delight. And that's the third point, to delight. What's surprising about the instruction to meditate on the law of the Lord is that it is tightly linked to the instruction to delight. So let me read verse one and two again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Tim Keller again makes the point about verse two. Uh, he says this. Delight in the law is not simply an intellectual study, but an internal relishing and cherishing of the truth. Delight in the law is not simply a matter of noticing truths and principles, you only delight in the law if you love having God tell you what to do. So how do we delight in the law of the Lord? Well, the simple answer is to delight in the one who fulfilled the law of the Lord. You see, the, you see that there has only been one person who has truly lived a blessed life. There was only ever one person who never walked in the steps of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the company of mockers. And all who put their trust in him flourish and everything he does truly prospered. Hebrews 10 verse 7 uh, tells us that Jesus came saying, I delight to do your will, O Lord. And as he wept in the garden before his death, as the wrath of God weighed heavily on him, it was God's will that he truly delighted to in, despite the agony that he was enduring. When we delight in Jesus, when we internally relish and cherish him and love having him tell us what to do, that is when we are able to delight in his law. And when we read this book of prayer as a book about Jesus or by Jesus or for the glory of Jesus, it leads us to the right place. It leads us to praise and delight. 
And that's where the whole book of Psalm ends with a great psalm of praise that we read earlier. Let me read Psalm 150 verse 6 once more. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And it says again, praise the Lord. That is delight. That is where the Psalms point. And the thing about Psalm 150 is that the book of Psalms has gone through so many desperate and dark Psalms to get there. Psalms that echo our hard times, our anxieties, our fears, our losses. Psalms that we pray because they echo our hearts. But isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus walk that path? Didn't Jesus journey through life, through rejection, through opposition, through, through dangers, through friends who didn't understand him? Didn't Jesus journey even to the cross? And didn't Jesus get to that joyful praise of the empty tomb and eternity promised? And doesn't Jesus today invite us to follow that same path? That is what it is to delight in Jesus. It's to follow him, to follow where his emotions took him. And to find ourselves in that place, standing with him at the empty tomb, praying the prayer of Psalm 150, praise the Lord, the one who has given us eternal life, the one who has given us forgiveness and freedom from sin, the one who has given us eternal joy and happiness. Finding ourselves in him, that is what delight really is. Which means if you're struggling to connect with God right now, in these weird times, can I suggest you start by reading the Psalms again? And again, let me say, this is not going to be a quick fix. To delight in Jesus and to meditate on his word will take time and it will sometimes feel like a waste of time. But do trust in the person and power of the Holy Spirit, because he will guide us in it. He will give us the, the revelation and the knowledge and, and the complete wonder of what the Psalms are talking about. And trust the work of the word of God on our hearts as we meditate on his word. And as we pray what the Psalms feel. So that we begin to delight again in his word, day and night. Let me finish with the words of Psalm 1 again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And here it is but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, that person, and this is the promise, this is the joy, this is the direction, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do, prospers. Let me pray. Oh dear Father God, we worship you 
for, for this prayer book, the book of Psalms. And we worship you for this first psalm, which is so practical and so detailed about how we are to read the psalms, who we are to delight in, how we are to allow your word to rest in our minds till our hearts are aflame. Now, Lord God, we confess how hard it is today how difficult it is to connect with you spiritually, emotionally. But God, I just ask that each of us would take this encouragement from Psalm 1 and Psalm 150 to believe, to believe that beautiful promise. Blessed is the one. To meditate, to, to, to throw away our idols that we're obsessed with. And to think on your beautiful, beautiful word. And, oh, Father God, to delight. To delight in the person of Jesus who delighted to do your will and did it to the, to the nth degree till he was standing outside an empty tomb in glory and wonder and majesty, inviting us to follow him. Oh, Lord God, may we follow him. Follow him in our thoughts. Follow him in our feelings. Follow him in our delight. Follow him in our belief. So, Father God, we might grow these roots deep. So that our leaf will not wither. So that whatever we do prospers. Even though on the outside it may not seem so. Lord God, this is our prayer. This is our humble plea this morning. We pray these things in the name of our precious Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour and King. Amen.